Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When a person begins pursuing a knowledge of God, they might find the pursuit a bit intimidating. The Bible, for example, is a relatively thick book, and sometimes it's hard to imagine that it will become smaller over time. Smaller in the sense that as you become more familiar with the content that is in it, more familiar with the events that took place and the way that God expressed himself and revealed himself to the people, it becomes a little easier. It has the appearance of being a little smaller over the course of time. But when a person reads through the testimony of God, they can also feel a little intimidated by him expressing himself, expressing the deep feelings that he has. Considering the feelings of God, or that he might actually have feelings, and that he might express them, can feel a little intimidating, can feel a little threatening, because you might very well become the object of some of those feelings. That, of course, might not be so bad if those are good feelings, but what about the bad feelings? Because as you read through the scriptures, as you read through the testimony of our God, you will find that there were many occasions when he expressed frustration, when he expressed disappointment, when he expressed anger. And on occasion, his expression of this led to an enormous amount of destruction in the world, in people's lives. So when you think about the idea that our God might be angry, it can, of course, be a little intimidating, and people might simply want to avoid that or just simply not go there. In addition to that, there can be some theological implications. For example, what kind of a God do we have if we have a God who can be so affected by us? This was one of the pagan arguments in Greek philosophy concerning the existence of a God, that if there was a God, well, he may not be so impressive, he might not be such a great God if he's the kind of God that we can make angry. I mean, imagine the amount of power that we have over God that we can make him upset, that we can do something that would disappoint him. For the Greek philosophers, this was considered to be unacceptable. And a lot of these philosophies found their way into the early Christian church, and these philosophies have survived even to this day from a theological point of view. This is something that many theologians study and discuss all the time. But what I see in the scriptures are many opportunities for the Lord to express the fact that, yes, we do have an effect on him. We have an effect on him in the sense that he has opened himself up. He has exposed himself to the opportunity for us to have a relationship with him. And because of that, there will be a mutual experience between the two of us that will result in the expression of feelings, that this is just simply part of having a relationship with a real person. You should not be surprised by this. But he's not always angry. There were times when he did express joy in us, in the people, and had an expectation of the joy that he would experience with us in the future. 
One of my favorite passages concerning this is found in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5, where it says, For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you, that there will be a time when he rejoices over us. And of course, I believe that this was fully realized through the new covenant, that when he resolved the sin issue between himself and humanity, when the sin issue was resolved through the crucifixion of the Messiah, and then the new covenant went into effect through the resurrection of the Messiah, this provided a new relationship to be invoked, provided the opportunity for that, so that we could engage in a relationship with him to the extent where he would be able to rejoice in us in a very profound way, that this would certainly be realized as a fulfillment to what I believe is a prophetic statement given here through Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5. The Lord has expressed grief on occasion, expressed regret. For example, in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, the Lord said, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart, so that the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Can you sense the depths of his feelings being expressed here? He speaks of his heart in comparison with the heart of man, that the heart of man had become so wicked, so evil continually, that this is what he would come to, that he would be sorry, he would express his sorrow concerning what was taking place. I don't believe that he would perceive this as his own personal failure, that he would be depressed over his own failure concerning how things worked out. No, he is looking at the people on this earth. He was looking at the people who were there, and he perceived what they decided to do. And that made him sorrowful to the point where he made the decision that he would simply destroy everyone. That was how he expressed his grief and his regret. But then after that, in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, when Noah and his family survived, it says in verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal, and of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. He expresses his feelings. He expresses his heart. And I do not believe that he said this in his heart because he felt ashamed or because he felt sorry for what he did. I personally believe that he made his decision. He executed the people through the flood. He created the destruction, but this was his decision. I don't think that he would feel bad about it, but he does say in his heart that he won't do it again, not because what he did was inadequate. I don't think that that's what he was conveying. 
there would be something else that he would do, but this would be something that he would be able to refer to later on in order to make reference to his feelings, to his sense of justice, and that he will execute justice when it is appropriate, that he will make decisions concerning that. But these are examples that we have in the scriptures that we can look at, things that took place after the fall of humanity. For the next few minutes, I'd like to spend some time talking about what happened before the fall of humanity, before these things took place, because he certainly had feelings back then also, and I believe it's appropriate to spend some time looking at some of these circumstances in order to have a better appreciation for our God, who is a God of deep feelings. Consider the angelic rebellion, just to give you an example. Through what we have in the scriptures, being able to piece a few verses together, I believe that the evidence shows that there was an angelic rebellion, that he had created a large number of angels in his kingdom, but that about one-third of them decided to rebel. And these angels were later identified as demons. Demons are angelic beings that rebelled from their position with God. They made a decision to no longer be a part of what he was doing, no longer be a part of his kingdom, to no longer live within the boundaries and the framework that he defined for them to live in. He created them for purposes, and they chose to no longer live according to the restraints, according to the boundaries that they were created for. Instead, they decided to go on their own and to live an independent experience that they thought would be much better than what they had. There was a rebellion in the sense that the demons decided to reject God and his place in their life. That's what happened. They rejected him and they rejected his place in their life. They also rejected their place in his life. It was a decision that was made. And I believe that this rebellion was headed up by a specific demon who we often identify as Lucifer, or who I would prefer to just simply refer to as the devil. Sometimes he's referred to as Satan, but I, I'm going to refer to him as the devil for now. He appeared to be the head of this rebellion, but what I want you to consider is that this was a rebellion because the angels decided that they would not believe God. Now, I want you to take a moment to imagine how he might feel about this, that he created these angels, and they just simply declare... They assert this belief that he's a liar, that he is not telling them the truth, that perhaps they might be able to become greater than what they are, that they could perhaps become much better, that they could be more effective, that they could become like God, even. That was the belief that was expressed, that they could be like him, that they could place their thrones or their chairs above his throne, that they could sit among the elders, the ones who were more wise than they. They could assert their wisdom, for example, just to give you an illustration or a way of perhaps understanding the attitude that they had. They did have an attitude. It was an attitude of rejecting their God, seeing him in a way that he was not. What were they thinking? Were they thinking that he was just wanting to oppress them in some way? Were they thinking that he was keeping them from being more than what they were? Did they really believe that he was not trustworthy? 
that he was not believable? I mean, was this really what they were thinking? From what I can tell, this is a way of describing the attitude of the angels when they rebelled. But think about how he would take this, how he would perceive this. He's got these beings who he created, who he has been relating to, who he has been opening himself up to, expressing himself to, and they turn on him like this. They reject him. They declare him to be a liar. They declare him to be someone who is just there to oppress them. He may have, on occasion, expressed to them that he wanted to be more to them than just someone who provided them with provision, whatever those provisions might be, or protection in the sense that he provided them with safety and security, provided them with a safe environment where they could be, where they could function, where they could enjoy what he had, that he wanted to share with them not only his kingdom, but share himself with them. And I'm sure that he would have hoped that they would have an appreciation for that. But with this rebellion, with this rejection, can you imagine, can you begin to imagine the sense of loneliness that God could have felt, that he could have experienced? And then looking at all the other angels, the angels that did not rebel, how might he see them? Can you imagine that perhaps he might look at the rest of them and wonder, well, how long is it going to be before you decide to believe what these other angels are saying, what these other beings are suggesting? Are you really going to be with me? Are you really going to be a part of what I'm doing? To what degree would he be able to trust those who remained, those who declared that they would stay loyal to him? Would they really? At any time, they might perhaps decide to rebel themselves and join in with the others, not believing God, not trusting Him, rejecting Him, and then He would feel even more lonely, even more betrayed. Our God is a God who has deep feelings, and I believe that these are feelings that He experienced through the angelic rebellion. Now, the first time that the people here on earth experienced the results of this rebellion was recorded in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the expression of what I believe is the devil manifesting as the serpent, and he goes to Adam and Eve and encourages them to join with him in his rebellion. Now, I personally believe that this conversation that the devil had with Adam and Eve took place shortly after this rebellion. It's my opinion, I'm making the assumption that this took place shortly after. The reason why I believe that is because I don't see any indication that the Lord warned Adam or Eve about the devil before he arrived. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What does he say? He said, God 
is lying to you. God is not telling you the truth. He is a liar. He cannot be trusted. You can trust in me. The devil says all of these things about God that are not true, and Adam and Eve believe him. Now, what's going to happen when God finds out? How is he going to perceive the situation with Adam and Eve? He's going to look at them and he's going to see them as people who did not believe him. They rejected him. They don't trust him. They have decided to turn away from him. He would have another opportunity to feel a deep sense of betrayal, a deep sense of loneliness. I mean, consider if these events were, as I described, happening relatively quickly. There is the rebellion in heaven, and God gets to experience this rejection towards him, and then looking around and seeing all the other angels and wondering, are these angels, are the rest of them, are they going to also reject me and turn away from me at some point? The loneliness of God must have been intense. So what does he do? He goes down to earth, to the little place that he made, the garden, where he has two people who are there enjoying each other, Adam and Eve, He made these two people, he put them in this garden, which is effectively a sanctuary, a place where he can go, where he can walk, where he can dwell, where he can see some people and be with them and enjoy their peace, their life, and their happiness with one another. And he can be a part of that. So what I see is I see a God who leaves his throne who leaves his kingdom, who leaves all of his servants, all of these angels who are up there, who are left, even though two-thirds of them remain, only one-third of them rebel, but he leaves them, he goes to his sanctuary on earth, the one little place, the garden, that is there, with the expectation that he's going to spend some time with Adam. He's going to get a little bit of a break from all of the turmoil that is taking place in his kingdom. He goes, he shows up, and what happens? In Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Can you hear that? Can you hear the heart of God calling out to Adam, asking him, Where are you? After experiencing such great turmoil in his own kingdom, over his angels, with the rebellion happening, and all of the rejection that he is experiencing, not knowing who to trust, not knowing who to believe, being deeply betrayed, and feeling a deep sense of loneliness, to go to his sanctuary where his friend Adam would be, to go there and to walk in the garden, to look for his friend, only to find out that his friend rebelled and betrayed him also. He is hiding, and the Lord calls out to him, Adam, where are you? Where are you, my friend? Where are you, the one who I can spend some time with, who I can be with, 
who I can enjoy some life with. Here is my small place of creation. I created this garden. I created him. I created all of these animals, and I even asked him to name all of these animals for us and so that we can talk about these animals and we can enjoy the animals and the plants in the garden, the trees and the fruit and everything. Where are you, Adam? And he's hiding. That's where he is. He's hiding from God because he joined in the rebellion also. In verse 10, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Can you hear him say, After all of the rejection, after all of the rebellion, have you also rebelled? Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? But you did it anyway. In verse 12, Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Betrayal. A deep sense of betrayal. The Lord told Adam and Eve, You know, I've given you all these trees, all of these trees in the garden. Can I just have one for myself? Just this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Can I just have this one? Just for me, you don't really need it. It's something that you don't need. Just be with me. Just live with me. Just enjoy the things that I have given you. All these other things. All these other trees. All this other fruit. All these other animals. Enjoy what I have given. And enjoy being with me. Is this not enough? And of course the answer was no. It was not enough. Not to them. They didn't believe him, that it really was enough. Instead, they decided that they would pursue something else. And now, because of what has happened, he is going to have to remove them from his garden. He's going to have to remove them from the garden because everything has changed. A lot of changes have happened. A lot of new problems are now going to have to be solved. And it's going to take a long time for these problems to be resolved. The Lord removed them from the garden and experienced loneliness once again, a deep sense of loneliness to the extent where he shut up the garden himself. And from what I can tell, he himself was never a part of that garden again. And to this day, we have a general idea of where it was, but it is gone. And now it is little more than a memory of the rejection and the betrayal that he experienced, which was part of the rebellion that took place in his kingdom, that spread to the earth and is now spreading throughout the earth in a way that he will experience continual rejection and loneliness as the people of this earth continually express their rejection of him, declaring that they do not want to know him, that they do not want to be a part of Him, and that they do not want Him to be a part of them. Most will not even believe in His existence at all. A continual, perpetual reminder of the rebellion in His kingdom, of the fall that took place in the garden, of the deep betrayal, and that this would result in an experience of loneliness 
that would take place for thousands of years. For thousands of years, people would be born into this world. He created Adam and he said it is not good for man to be alone. And so he gave him Eve so that he would not be alone. But because of the decision of Eve and Adam, because of their decision, it was God who ended up alone. He was alone because of the rebellion in his kingdom of the angelic host of the angels. And when he went down to the one place he had left, the sanctuary, the garden where he would walk, where he would talk with Adam, where he would be with his friend, when he went there, he discovered that they also had rebelled, and he now entered into a condition of loneliness where there was no one left. Now, from what I can tell, two-thirds of the angels did stay loyal to him, and from what I can tell, I don't see any indication that any of the angels that did not rebel at that time chose to rebel at a later date. But this is something that the Lord would encounter in the years following. But during this time, during the years following, he got to observe and watch Adam and Eve be fruitful and multiply. He had hope when he created them to begin with. I can see that he had hope that they would be fruitful and multiply, and he would be an active participant, enjoying the coming of new people, that he would be able to be a part of them, perhaps even in the garden, enjoying them being born, watching them grow, watching them mature, watching them learn and discover. But now he doesn't get to experience that. Now he gets to watch these people be born into this world and make their decisions outside of the knowledge of God and end up in such corruption, end up in such evil that is so bad that he destroys the world with a flood. And when the destruction happened, the garden was permanently destroyed in the midst of the flood. And I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.